Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think we all have a natural leaning towards an element of, of nature. So some people are mountains people, other people are water, sea, ocean people, other people are trees, forests. You can love all of them, of course, um, but there'll be one element that you're kind of like, if you're struggling or if you're rejoicing in life, it's like you gravitate towards that. And and I think it's really important that people go towards the element to which they belong. It's like a, a, your soul's callings. Hi, and welcome to Alonement, the podcast about time alone and why it matters. I'm Francesca Spector, host of this podcast and author of Alonement, a book based on this very show. I'm also a reformed extreme extrovert who, a few years ago, discovered the life-changing benefits of spending time alone. Each week, I interview someone I'm curious about to discover what solo time means to them. In every conversation, we celebrate the unique benefits of time spent alone, regardless of your age, life stage, or relationship status. Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. Donna Lancaster is a coach and therapist, best known as the co-creator of The Bridge, a retreat designed to help attendees navigate grief and loss. She's also the author of a book of the same name. More recently, Donna has published a pocketbook called Wise Words for Women, full of advice on how to live a more rewarding, connected life. I know that we hear a lot of these buzzwords like authenticity and connection, but equally, I think there's a reason for that. I think that a lot of us are searching day to day for that person who emanates that gentle, universal wisdom that comforting phrase that catches you at the right time. Donna refers to herself as a trainee elder, and in those she touches with her work, that's what she is. This is a conversation about how to find wonder and creativity in alone time, how to connect with nature, and just generally how to find a bit more joy in our lives through being more authentic to who we are. This season is brought to you by West Lab the UK's number one trusted bath salts brand. Their best-selling Dead Sea bath salt range contains minerals that come from the famous waters themselves, 
Fun fact, it's actually a lake, not a sea, that's found in the lowest point of the earth and was the world's first spa, visited by Cleopatra herself. Dead Sea Salt is a skin hero containing a unique blend of magnesium, calcium and potassium, which is brilliant for protecting and repairing your skin barrier and managing conditions like eczema, psoriasis, acne and sensitive skin, together with soothing any aching muscles. I'm also kind of in love with magnesium for its mood balancing qualities. It's nice to think that your mind and body are being looked after while you're soaking there in the tub. West Lab Dead Sea Bath Salts are vegan, cruelty-free and suitable for the whole family, including babies aged three months and up. Use the code ALONEMENT15 for 15% off when you spend £10 or more. T's and C's in the show notes. When we were emailing ahead of this recording, you wrote to me and you said, alone is where I meet myself. Could you, could you tell me more about that interpretation? Sure. I mean, when you ask the question, you know, what does alone mean to you? And that was what immediately popped up, that alone is where I meet myself. And I guess what I meant by that was like, we, no matter how authentic we are, Francesca, we, we, to some degree, uh, play a series of roles in our life. And so I'm a grandmother, I'm a mother, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, you know, I'm a work colleague, etc. And they're all part of who I am, but there's also a role element to it. And so when I'm not with any of those people and not in any of those roles, I meet myself. I meet myself separate from the roles that we have as part of being in connection with others. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's it's really nice when people say, maybe a little bit idealistically, oh, I can just be myself around that person or like, you know, we can be sort of alone together. But there's always, even if it's just, I don't know, 5% of you, there's always something that we're mediating for that other person. Even if we're just sort of moving to make space for them on the physical couch, something like that. Yes. It's never, yeah. never quite that simple. It's true. It's like with, you know, with my daughters, I am as authentic as I would be with you. And I never forget that I'm their mother. So there's an element of being in a role as a mother. I've always got that sense, you know, that I carried them inside me. I gave them life. I birthed them. I raised them. And that is, that impacts how I behave in an authentic way. But still there's a percent, as you say, of me that is in that role as a mother. And just when I'm alone, I don't, I just don't, it, it's, it's a, a freedom. From that, not that it's hard either. I'm not saying, oh, it's hard to be a mother. It's hard. I love being a mother and a grandmother, as an example. I love my friends. It's not about that, but it's just there's something when I'm alone that I truly. It's like a, a, an exhalation, you know. It's like, oh, I'm myself, and and that also helps. I'm an introvert. That you know, it's uh, I like spending time by myself. And has that always been the case? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking specifically about people who aren't necessarily comfortable in their own company and maybe that's something you've experienced at some point in your life has it always been where you've met yourself or have you ever met something a bit different in your alone time very much so very different no I think for many many years I couldn't bear to be alone and it took me many many years to to meet myself before I could uh, and I needed to be alone by the way to meet myself 
but I would run from myself because I was terrified of what I would find that if I, if I stopped, you know, in my sort of twenties and probably in my teens, even younger, if I stopped pretending to be, uh, all these different versions of myself, like if I actually sat with myself, sat with my feelings, like who would be left, you know, and, and under all those masks, like who would I find and would she even be nice? And would I really want to hang her, you know, and it was because I was consumed by self-loathing for the very long uh, early part of my kind of childhood and teens and and 20s and into my it was very different it was a, a sense of please don't let me be alone you know and I would go to great lengths not to be alone thank you for sharing that and and I'm sure that we'll get into more of why that was later on but I, I I'm really conscious I suppose with this podcast that does celebrate the value of alonement and how that can be a great state to be in. I never want to sort of make it seem easy or to make someone feel like there's something wrong with them for not necessarily being able to get there at this current stage in their life. So I'm really grateful for that, for that honesty. I wonder, so you're, you're trained in the Hoffman process, which as I understand it, it's, it's what focuses on exploring how as children, we adopt the negative behaviors and, and patterns of our caregivers quite often in a bid to make ourselves loved. How has that played out in your own life where, when it comes to alone time? Did your early experiences influence how you feel or perhaps how you once felt about spending time alone? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I mean, as you say, you know, Hoffman was a long time ago and it was also one significant but only one part of my kind of work and healing because they're interlinked anyway um journey but I think as a as a child I spent a lot of time alone and I felt desperately lonely as a mixed race child I felt I had that sense that I wasn't black enough for the black community I wasn't white enough for the white community you know, at one point we lived in a very black area where my mum was the only white person on the estate. And then we moved and we lived in a very white area, you know. And so there was always that sense of I didn't belong. It was about belonging. And when we feel we don't belong somewhere in life, I really feel really lonely. The aloneness that I felt as a child was a really deep sense of not belonging and a, a real deep sense of, uh, yeah, loneliness. And, and of course it came with many pains and heartbreaks and also many kind of life skills. Um, in terms of I became very resilient and very independent, which also cost me dearly later in life. It was there, I guess the seed was planted to start to realize that alone time could be a time of creative expression of connection in a different way. So it wasn't connection to other groups of people because I experienced quite a bit of racism as a child. So it was more my connection. That's where my connection to nature really began. But yeah, definitely that was my experience of being alone was lonely in the very early part of my life. I've heard people speak about this before. I suppose if you feel like you're born into one race or one community and it's, it's simple in that way, I suppose that you have that almost superficial sense of belonging. Do you think that the one that you've found somehow, even though moving through that difficulty of not feeling part of either side, do you feel like you've found something more deep and authentic in that belonging that you've gained now? Definitely. Yeah. I feel, 
like when I obviously when you approached me about this podcast and I've been you know pondering alone and alonement since you you got in touch and and it's something I think about a lot anyway I really feel like it's um it's been a hard won journey to you know and a victory in a way is to get to that place of of healing where I actually became I'll say this and it might sound a bit but I'm going to say it anyway Francesca which is where I fell back in love with life and myself as part of life but that took healing so I think the many many gifts I gained from those early struggles and there's so many um but that it really gave me that resilience that resourcefulness for for the alone piece um and then I had to heal get to know myself and then uh, really lean into the comfort of of being alone and also connected at the same time because that's the thing is that in solitude and in alonement and in is when we are deeply connected not necessarily to people but to a sense of if you like your spirit a sense of the otherness of life i would call the divine whatever you label you might have i'm not religious i'm not talking about god i'm talking about the that which is bigger than our own ego, you know, connection to nature and on and on we could go. So solitude is connection for me. On the subject of nature, so again, in our correspondence before this podcast, and it was really lovely to sort of have that dialogue going on by email just before, you highlighted a piece of writing specifically from your uh, from your book, Wise Words for Women, which is a series of short shorter pieces of writing. It's called the lonely cloak and you talk about experiencing feelings of loneliness behind screens or in crowded rooms and as an antidote to this as an antidote to feeling that sort of loneliness even around people you say that you head out into and I think you use the phrase a different kind of crowd ah oh, being among nature and in the sea and you have this feeling of, of wholeness of, of oneness with these with these elements could you tell me more about that understanding that you reached as a remedy for loneliness yeah like i've said to you before in our exchange and i'm sure you've heard in many of your um interviews for your podcast is that the loneliest i've ever felt is in a toxic relationship and i've had a few of those (laughs) and 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 there's also a sort of existential loneliness that i get when i'm with people i love and i feel uh, it might be a bit deep, but I feel like I'm trapped inside my body and I can't quite reach them because they're over there and I'm here and I know we belong and we're one. It's a different kind of loneliness that that I feel sometimes when I'm with people that I really want to spend time with. But sometimes, like everybody, you know, I feel lonely, usually when I've been hanging out with people. Um, and then I, I do head out into nature. And this this kind of harks back to my early childhood where I began to connect to nature through making dens and, and hiding in, in the bushes. And I used to basically bunk off. I don't know if they call it that anymore, but I used to bunk off school. And then because I was experiencing racism, so I wouldn't go to school and pretend to go to school. And I had to stay out all day so that I looked like I was at school. And I would just make dens and I would have like imaginary friends in the woods. And, you know, in those days, it felt very natural to be out in nature in that way. And I think, again, those seeds were planted around me feeling that sense of deep connection to the earth and to nature. I have that now. You know, I can feel that sense of loneliness 
in times in my life. And then I'll just go out and very fortunate that I had some lovely woods at the back of my house and I'll just move towards the trees. And like I said, in that piece, it just feels like they're sort of, you know, welcoming me. And then I'm like, yeah, this is my tribe. You know, this is where I belong. These are my, my, my people. It's all that. And, and elsewhere in your book, you say, you write that, uh, if you, if you listen hard enough, then trees will speak to you, which I, I find that interesting. I, I, I sort of want to go out and have a listen myself just, <laughs> just to get there. There was a lot of sort of intriguing little nuggets where I thought, oh, well, I, I don't resonate with this quite yet, but I hope one day I'll get yeah. to that point. I'm sure you will, if you know, because you're already on that kind of deeper path and, and, um, you wouldn't be doing the work that you're doing if you weren't. And so, you know, this, I think that's the thing as well as the things that I'm sharing. You know, I'm 56 years old. You know, I have lived a very rich life and I've done a lot of healing work and I've worked in the healing business, if you like, for 32 years in the therapeutic world. And so this is, not an overnight thing, you know, from that little girl that felt she didn't belong anywhere. This has been a long and often was painful initially journey back to myself. But I have come to a place where I feel a deep attunement to nature and trees in particular. And uh, funnily enough, I, I, I share this sometimes and it sounds loony tunes. I originally wanted to call Wise Words for Women, my little book. I wanted to call it um, What the Trees Told Me. And my, my book agent went, no, Donna, two loony tunes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, fair enough. It does that because it feels like all of those quotes in that book, all those little pieces of writing have almost always been where I'm with trees, where I'm, when I'm next to trees or the ocean. It just feels like it almost comes from them. And I always joke, you know, it's not like the Wizard of Oz when they're like, Donna, you must write this word. You know, it's not like that. It just comes. I guess I get still enough to hear. This wisdom, and I don't mind if it comes from inside of me, if it comes from a tree, or if it comes from the divine. I don't care really. It, it just flows through me, and then I know what I need to to write about. Does it come to you in words, or is it is it something different? Is it the deeper sort of nonverbal wisdom that you're connecting with? It's a, a usually visuals. So I usually get visual images, and and then I have a sense of oh, I need to. Because I write a lot um, on um, Instagram and uh, that's part of how I serve in the world is little sort of pieces that I hope kind of comfort and inspire and sometimes challenge people. Um, but it's sometimes in words, it's mainly in visuals and images. And then there's just this deep knowing. And I think sometimes I'm heading out, Francesca, I'll be heading out because I love walking and I'm just getting outside. And then this whole kind of sense of what I need to to sort of write about it sounds grand but it's really not and and but it just comes it comes over me and then and then it's like I have to go back home and write it and and part of me is like I just want to go for a blooming walk <laughs> and it feels like a compulsion uh to, to kind of get back and and people say oh, why don't you speak into your phone and it's not about that it's like it almost it has to be written down and shared immediately um that might sound a bit old but that is how I work I remember in the summer, you know, I was going for a walk and I was going and taking my grandson for an ice cream, you know, and it was like this peace came and I thought, I know that I won't retain this. And so I'm like, we have to just go back, Theo. We just have to go back just for it, you know, and I just had to get it out of me. It's, it's really irritating. I just wanted an ice cream. 
Did you did you go for the ice cream afterwards? I hope you had a celebratory ice cream. Good, of, of course. <laughs> my grand my grandson would never have forgiven me. <laughs> and do you differentiate between uh, I saw it in a study referred to as blue space and green space? So green space being you know being out in the woods and blue space being near a body of water. I read somewhere that they actually do have similar. I don't know how they measure this, but well-being benefits. But I wonder if there's a personal thing where you sort of prefer one the other. I think we all have a natural kind of leaning towards an element of, of nature. So some people are mountains people, other people are water, sea, ocean people, other people are trees, forests. And you love, you can love all of them, of course, um, but there'll be one element that you're kind of like if you're struggling or if you're rejoicing in life it's like you gravitate towards that and and I think it's really important that people go towards the element to which they belong it's like a, a your soul's calling so I feel when I'm grieving and when I'm struggling with life I go to the ocean and that is, and if I can, I get in the ocean. And believe me, I'm not one of those hardy, all-year-round wild swimmers. I'm not. I've got African blood running through my veins. I need warmth before I get in the water. Um, but but I do move towards the sea when I'm when I'm struggling. And 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 then the forest is more kind of it's more like a day to day hanging out with my tribe. I like it. So different elements for different things. Yeah, absolutely. And the mountains are really, I think, when I'm really looking for bigger picture stuff, you know, so where I used to live and uh, in the Canaries and I used to climb up really high and it was that sense of expansion. And, of course, you can see the sea, but really up high, I get more of a sense of kind of, yeah, just uh, more creative ideas, expansive ideas. And do you have a preference to being alone in those spaces so you, you can sort of you can sort of have your own moment with the nature I'm always somebody that you know like if I if I do need to go to the sea I'll get up super early so there's minimal people around and I will generally uh generally prefer to go by myself for those kind of connections um and also you know I my grandson's they know that when we get together we're heading to the beach or the woods and we're outside and it's a different experience. But for me, in terms of that meeting myself, in terms of my bigger connection to the otherness of lives, yeah, I prefer to as few people as possible <laughs> to be around selfishly, um, just so that I can really, yeah, really connect. Um, but I can also tune people out. You can. I can't do that very well. I wonder if it's because I'm a natural, I'm a natural extrovert. So this sort of needy part of me just my ears prick up and I sort of I don't know have you always been able to tune people out or does that come okay Uh, when does when does that come (laughs) (laughs) so you'll experience that at 42 and a half no I'm joking Uh, I think it's it's again it's that presence piece isn't it and that's what the trees have taught me about how to be really present to where you are and and to be present and and um, in a way, like I can, I can focus like you. I'm, uh, you know, my line of work, I've got a natural nosiness. I'm always curious about who's talking about what over there, but I can go if I'm sitting by the sea, for example, I can choose to focus on the sounds of the waves and, you know, over the, the, the pebbles or the sand or whatever it might be rather than, and I can tune out to that, but it's kind of like a, a practice. It's a skill 
Um, whereas if I'm in a bar, say, I find that overstimulation too much. I, I really struggle with that. So it's not like I'm in that Zen place in all areas of my life. But when I'm in nature, I can, it seems I can kind of zone out of the kind of, yeah, the noisiness around me and, um, and just tune in to something else. Yeah. You know, side notes here, and maybe this is just my own personal rants, but increasingly I, I do find it strange how bars and particularly clubs, but sort of, you know, noisy, noisy bars, it, it's almost, there's supposed to be social spaces. Um, and it's just, it's very noisy and it almost, it creates a sort of introspectiveness purely because all your senses are so deprived and you don't really connect with the people around you. I yeah. do find that very strange. I mean, don't get me started. I'll that sound like a right curmudgeon, but, but I think it's part of the whole constant need for stimulation. It's like you can't go anywhere to eat without music. And it's like, why can't you just sit and eat some food and have a conversation with the people you're with or by yourself? Without there being, why can't people, if they want to listen to music, they can just wear their earbuds. But you know what I mean? It's like there's always additional, there's always an adding on of, of sound, of noise, of stimulation. And I think we're a, a, a kind of, we're crying out for, for, for sort of less. Mm. Less, less is definitely more <laughs> for me. I'm with you on that. And uh, one of the things that you sort of suggest or prescribe in your book, which is uh, a date with wonder. And mm. so you say a date with wonder is a conscious period of time spent looking at the natural environment as if seeing it all for the very first or last time. And it's also about that reconnection with yourself. So we've been talking about all these lovely sort of going out into nature. Um, how does that look in practical terms what would be your best advice for someone who wanted to go out and and do that and sort of you know reap the reap the benefits of it I think again it sort of links to what we just touched on around sort of overstimulation and the too muchness of life we have too much choice m many of us in the west we have too much choice there's too many options there's too many channels there's too much noise you know I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I think there's something about a date with wonder, which it really is about going out without your phone or turning your phone on to airplane mode and just using the camera if you want to take pictures to really zone in. But it really is the, it's a practice, which I would say is a spiritual practice because it's getting us away from uh, this sense of entitlement to nature and entitlement to um, the, the sort of the everyday, if you like, is that we in in the kind of chasing and yearning for whatever it might be, especially when you're younger, you you can forget to notice the the sort of small everyday details of life. I can remember an example where I was working with this very wealthy um, businessman once, and and I'd sort of found out that he loved sunflowers, which I did too, and I'd got some sunflowers. It was like he was on a retreat that I was running, and I was working with him one to one, and I placed these sunflowers into the room especially for him and I remember that he came in and he sat down he didn't even notice them and I asked him and he said oh I didn't even I noticed there was something in a in a vase but I didn't even see them and and it was because he has too much you know and he'd forgotten how to be grateful and that's the you know I always say that the extreme opposite of gratitude is entitlement and so what date with wonder does is it brings us back into connection with the with the natural world or with the people in front of us. And you look at everybody and you look at them. It's almost like if you looked at, you look at, um, whether it be a flower or a bee or a tree or even another person in your life, but you look at them as if either you've never seen them before and you take them in, like when you first meet somebody, you know, and it's all like delicious and exciting, whether that's a friend or a, a romantic relationship it doesn't matter but there's that sense of like all oh, with the excitement and you take you know you look at your new friend or your new partner and you're like wow they're so dot 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 and then over time we get that habituation we, we become kind of used to them and then we forget to notice that they've got a really cute dimple in their chin or in their cheeks or this that and the other or we love the kind of lilt and tone of their voice or and so what Date with Wonder does is it brings us back into connection by cultivating this sense of wonder and awe, like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this person before. I've never seen this flower before. Or what I do, which some people find a little bit um, on the macabre side, which is about around, I look at p- things and people as if I've seen, I'm seeing them for the last time. So I really think, like when I look at my grandsons, I think, what if this was the last day? And some people might think, oh my God, that's awful. But for me, what it cultivates is awe and wonder and presence and joy and deep gratitude. I'm like, wow, you know, I'm just so in love because this could be the last day or this could be the last time I ever see this tree. I want to take it in. I want to bathe in the and bask in the wonder of it so yeah date with wonder is like a 
you know, it's like the sort of <laughs> what comes to me. It's like the crack cocaine of kind of gratitude. <laughs> it really is the sort of real ramping it up and it makes you just so in awe of life and the people in your life. So I want to touch on wealth and and how that can almost be a force for disconnecting you from from this wonderment because you you mentioned the wealthy client that you had coming along on your retreats. It does seem to me there is an irony that quite often the the wealthiest people can be the most sort of lonely and disconnected, and that, that there's now such a such an industry in in these retreats of bringing people back with the connection that I, I guess we know is the sort of roots out of loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I call this kind of condition, if you like, of the kind of what you describe is really the sort of Elvis Presley syndrome, I call it. And I wrote about this in my first book, Bridge. And the, you know who Elvis Presley is, right? I'm not that ancient. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so big Elvis it. fan. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, me too. About, um, so the Elvis Presley syndrome, as I sort of describe it, is something based on, um, what his, um, his last girlfriend, uh, Ginger Alden, and she was asked what killed Elvis. You know, there's whole big uh, thing about how did he die and what did he die of and loads of stories and sensationalism and all this. And, and so some journalists said to her, what do you think Elvis died of? And she said this very profound thing. She said, Elvis died because he didn't hear enough no. He didn't hear, have enough people in his life that is about boundaries that would tell him, no, you don't eat that. No, you can't have 15 cars. No, you can't sleep with 30 women in a week. No, he didn't hear enough no's. And I think with the wealthy, it's the same as fame and celebrity, is that when you get everything you want, without deferring gratification, without having to save or struggle for it or, you know, and you might have done that in the past, but if you too often, when you get a certain level of success, if you too often instantly turn around and your bed's made and you didn't have to make it yourself, the food's in front of you and you don't have to think about how to prepare it, where it came from, who bought, you know, who even prepared it for you, you just pick up your knife and fork and eat it. You become habituated. You become less grateful and eventually entitled. And so that leads ultimately to disconnection and misery. I really feel like, um, people need to hear more no's for most of us. We need that boundary for, from others where, um, we hear sometimes, you know, no, you can't do that. No, that's not okay to behave like that. No, you can't just press, you know, on Amazon and, and, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody from ordering from Amazon for convenience, but don't think when you press that button for next day delivery that there isn't a price to pay for that, that somebody else somewhere is weeing in a bottle to get your deliveries to you on time because they're not given decent salary and a, and a decent break. You know, it's all of that had the ripple effect, but when we get everything we want, whenever we want it, like many of us, even, you know, without sort of great wealth or great fame, we become entitled and we forget literally to smell the coffee or the roses or whatever the expression is, both. That was a bit of a ramble. No, sorry. no, it's it's amazing. And I'm, I'm just thinking of that sort of now very you know, haunting image of 
kind of Elvis, uh, you know, dying alone on his gold toilet seat. You know, that's the, that's the image, that very lonely, um, very sort of, I don't know. Yeah. That, that image of sort of overindulgence and all of that. Um, but it also, it's funny when you're talking about that sort of those boundaries and that friction. I'm, I'm based in Lisbon this month. Um, and it's a very, I, I love it here. I've, you know, I've spent a few months here in the past and it's, it's very funny because in the UK, there's this sense of wanting everything, you know, yesterday, wanting everything instantly. And here you'll, you'll go to a cafe and, you know, as I did yesterday to prepare for this interview. And I think I ordered, uh, I ordered a plate of eggs and it came, it came 45 minutes later and the little Londoner in me would be not used to that and would be impatient. <laughs> but I went along and I thought, and it, you know what? This is just, this is Lisbon life. This is everything happens yeah. incredibly slowly. Even walking along the pavements, it, they're very slippery. They're these beautiful mosaic tiles, which are definitely, um, I would say style over substance, but there's just, there's something in that the, <laughs> the, the, the whole lifestyle is incredibly slow and it, you know, it's, it's respectful. And you go and, you know, you'll be, you're in someone's restaurant. It's more like, being in someone's home you know it's that intimacy yes. and there's and it just you appreciate everything so much more you're not just sort of rushing from one thing to the next you know you'll sit in a cafe and brunch will take 45 minutes to come and, and you'll look around you and you'll say well isn't this lovely isn't the music great aren't the people interesting isn't the task at hand so great and even the ability to be alone in these streets you know I, I'm listening to the birds I'm connecting more with the immediate environment because I'm not just kind of expecting how my day will work like clockwork. And there's a real, yes. there's real loveliness to that. So I just did that, that comment sort of on the friction of the everyday. So it definitely resonates. Yeah. And that's a beautiful example, Francesca, of the, the need for most of us to, to slow down. And, and, and it's not easy. You know, some people are holding like down three jobs and two kids and, you know, all ca- you know, caring for their parents, et cetera, et cetera. But it is, it's those moments, the moments of time of doing something with presence and also just carving out little pockets, even if that's sneaking off to the loo for a breather. You know, quite often I speak to my daughter, um, and she's in the toilet, just getting her sort of breather from being a parent, being a mother. And she'll say, I can hear by the echo. She's like, I need <laughs> But it's like just just taking moments to be, you know, by yourself or or in connection with someone you love, and and just slowing everything down as much as we can within the kind of busyness of this extroverted and loud and overstimulated immediate world that we find ourselves in. Uh, you know, it's it's harrowing. It's harrowing how many parents on this podcast will tell me how they've had that sort of toilet based alonement time or bathroom based alonement time. <laughs> No, I guess you, you know, you don't choose your sanctuary, but sanctuary, it, it remains. It is. Absolutely. And I know if I, I mean, my friends know to, to sort of, unless it's their funeral, don't invite me to any kind of gathering. Um, and, and that includes weddings, but funerals I will attend, but they know not to invite me. But if I do find myself at some kind of crowded event, it makes me cringe just thinking about it, but. I will, how I look after myself is I will retreat to the bathroom. I will go into the toilet and I will just give myself a moment to just kind of breathe, to shake, to just sort of shake my body and shake off some of the kind of over stimulation that I've experienced. And then I can kind of go back, wash my hands, little cleansing ritual. And then I'm back in the game, as it were. Still got one eye on the door, but hey. (laughs) 
I think it's a, you know, I think that I'm very glad that, you know, smoking is no longer a thing. And this, this podcast won't be sponsored by Marlboro Light anytime soon. But I do think the ritual of being able to go outside and take a breather, um, you know, preferably not a nicotine filled one in this case, but I think that ritual is lost. And I think it was definitely, I, I'd love to know, you know, back in the day, the, the, the breakdown of sort of introvert versus extrovert smokers, but. I'm pretty sure a lot of people weren't sneaking off to the smoking area for some extra social time. I'll, I'll put it that way. I think yeah. the moments of solitude that, that, that now everyone's sort of sneaking off and into, into the bathroom <laughs> to have. Yeah. Instead. Yeah. I think there was something, I remember reading something about, um, uh, some office workers and they were sort of claiming how much more breaks their smoking peers got. And, you know, not many people smoke nowadays, really, but. But they were sort of saying, we should be entitled to that amount of tea break. And it's absolutely right. I think they were given in something I read and they were given uh, time to just step outside and get some fresh air without the smoking. And and rightly so, if everybody else, I think then with the smokers were given an extra sort of an hour a day or something crazy because of their smoking needs. So these other people that weren't smoking said, we want that too. Sure. And rightfully so. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, I think we're thinking about this, these things a bit differently after the pandemic, hopefully, where, you know, there's hopefully a bit more trust between sort of employee and employer in terms of, uh, you know, remote working and not having to be at one's desk every second of every day. But the pause can actually reap dividends. You know, we're not, we're not sort of machines. There isn't this industrial age thinking where actual desk bound input equals outputs no so much. Exactly. But, um, exactly. but yeah yeah they're definitely some, some some something to replace the smoking break maybe even just maybe even just the language for it maybe maybe we should start sort of you know having contracted alonement breaks in our working days nice. <laughs> but yeah there's there's me like trying to shoehorn in that trademark but <laughs> <laughs> make sure you get some kind of uh, what do you call it profit share <laughs> <laughs> so one of the revelations that you also come to in the book I think it's called and and or or something like that. There's a bit where you, you talk about how we quite often think that we need to be one thing or another and we create false dichotomies for ourselves, like happy or sad or, or funny or serious. But instead, you say that one thing that you've learned um, is that you're capable of being both things at once. So you can be happy and sad and funny and serious. And one of your examples is lonely and connected. And a lot of people probably you know listening to this podcast uh, myself included uh constantly striving for ways to make our lives a little bit less lonely even if that's in one area so at work or in our romantic lives we all have some, some sort of loneliness that we sort of characterize as a, as a as a bad thing or something to keep at bay or at least treat would you say there's any value to accepting a sort of little dose of loneliness in our lives Definitely. I think, I think to have moments of loneliness is, is like moments of boredom. It comes with its own gift. Um, and, and being human, you know, in the world today, you know, there are good reasons to feel that sense of loneliness and, and, and whilst also, you know, the paradox of, uh, of life, whilst also, staying connected but but I think sometimes it's good to also just experience fully like yeah right now I feel really lonely 
and and even to notice like am i in connection with that flower am i in connection with my body am i in connection with my breath and sometimes the answer is no and that's okay and that and i don't think it's something to beat ourselves up about it's, it's when it becomes sort of chronic that we have an issue but when you have those moments you know it's like i'm hardly ever bored and i'm hardly ever lonely but when i am i think oh it's like a shock to me i'm like oh I think I might feel lonely or <laughs> I, th- I think I might be bored, you know. And um, and these are alien concepts to me most of the time, but I, I don't run from them as I don't run from any emotional state. I'm allowing myself to to kind of be in it and just say, yeah, right now in this moment, I feel lonely. I remember during COVID and, um, I you know, like many people, one of my Christmases was written off and I was alone. And I felt lonely for the first part of the day. Um, and I let myself just really grieve and go, yeah, I wanted to be with my family like everybody else. And I don't want to just say, oh, but you're lucky and you're healthy. And yeah, all of those things are important in the gratitude piece. But I just needed to sit and say, I, as a, as a, as a person who wanted to be with their family, I'm deeply sad. And I, I had a good cry. Had a, had a bit of a dance to kind of, which always helped me with moving my emotions and had a, had a good old sob. And then I kind of had a shower and, and then I thought, oh, I've got the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> so I moved through into a different space, but I didn't run from that loneliness. It was, it's all right, you know. And I think the other thing I would just say, Francesca, is that what many people are hungry for in their loneliness. They think it's an, a, it's a, an intimate relationship or they think it's more friends or they think it's, a, you know, something outside of them. And what most people are really longing for is a, is a deeper connection to themselves and to that which is bigger than us, whatever that means to you, the kind of spiritual dimension. And I, I, I write about this in my first book about soul sickness. You know, this sickness of the soul where what we don't realize is we're longing for something deeper because we live in the shallows. So much on Instagram is about shallow living, what someone's wearing, what they're doing, what they're eating. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like two people can drown in two inches of water. Remember that, you know, I think a lot of people feel lonely because they are, their soul is sick. They're le- yearning for something deeper to life. Wow. I just, yeah, I think that's such a important point because I think quite often we're, we're told what the cure for loneliness is or indeed it's shouted at us, you know, if we're single, it, it must be a dating app or if we are struggling to feel that we have, um, the sort of fabulous girl gang that is increasingly, I think, slightly becoming fetishized by things like the revival of sex in the city and I think you know it, it's very easy to tune into what the world around us tells us will be the cure but I love the idea of sort of I, I suppose accepting loneliness to begin with because I think it's a really stigmatized date and it was you know I, I think it's wonderful how you describe really doing that and tuning into that on Christmas day but but also I think beyond that getting curious about loneliness and thinking what would actually be the thing that would take me past this. And I think that that concept of soul sickness is such a profound way of looking at it. You know, it's something I say quite a lot is that, that people, so many people have rejected 
spirituality um, on the back of religion because they associate it with religion. And if religion is not your bag, then you've kind of, it's like baby and bath water. And people say, oh, I don't want anything woo-woo and I don't want anything to do with this and that and the other. And it's actually, you know, uh, I mean, spirituality is about connection. You know, it's about a deeper connection. And I think people are really um, unconsciously, like I say, yeah, they're missing that. That's the missing piece. That's the piece that, uh, you know, you can lie in bed with your with your partner, with your children next door, with your wonderful house and your beautiful garden and your money in your bank, and you can feel desperately lonely. And it's because I believe you haven't got a spiritual foundation to your life. You haven't gone beyond the small ego into, uh, you know, the sort of small egoic experience of life into one that's much deeper and lighter. Finally, What's your alonement? Oh gosh. I mean, how long have you got? I mean, my alonement. It is all the things we've t- talked about, really. It is my dates with wonder. It is my, um, my singing. I sing by myself. I dance by myself. I bathe and I make it a beautiful ritual. You know, I, um, I love coloring, <laughs> love coloring. And it's something really playful and I do it with my grandsons, but I also do it by myself and I just love coloring. And so, you know, these are all kind of activities and sometimes I just sit and look out of the window with a really good cup of coffee and look at the view, the beautiful view of the South Downs that I'm fortunate enough to have. And I, and that's my alignment. And I'm like, I'm alive, I'm breathing. I'm still here and that's a wonderful thing. So that is, yeah, I could say more, but that's it in a nutshell. Before we go, I need to hear more about this coloring. Do you have a stack of books that you have technically for when your grandkids come over, but really they're yours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's a, uh, they have their own ones that I do with them. Um, but then there's ones that I have, which is adult coloring, you know, and I, I, ha- I love sunflowers and I have, uh, yeah, particular coloring book from Rupi Kaur. Do you know the poet? Rupi I do. Kaur? I saw her live yeah. at the Barbican not too long ago. It was incredible. Amazing. Incredible. Incredible. So she also had a, um, a coloring book. Uh, I don't know if she's into coloring, but anyway, there was a coloring book made, um, to accompany her book. Uh, one of her books can't remember now, but that's one of my faves. And I love, I just love coloring and I've got my pens and, you know, and people that sometimes I'm, like at the airport or something, and I'll get out my coloring. And it, it really, my daughter's like, <laughs> But I'm at that delicious age where I really don't, it's not even that I don't care. I don't mind what people think. You know, I don't care it tends to be a bit more reactive. Yeah. I just don't mind. I don't, I think as, as you get more and more comfortable in your own skin, which trust me comes as you do your work and as comes as part of, if you're lucky enough to be around long enough, it's you just, you just feel less need for external validation. It's just all good. It's like, I'm just sitting here, a 56 year old woman coloring sunflowers at Gatwick Airport. And I'm okay with that. And life is going to get better and better. Thank you so it much. Really, it really does. I was talking in the gym today and saying, you know, thirties were a little bit of a shit show for me. Forties are amazing. Fifties are just off the scale. And it's like, as you let go of the attachment to external, you know, everything's doing its thing as age t- takes 
these things droop and whatever. But the internal celebration that I feel is it's a, it's a, a worthwhile exchange, believe me. Thank you, Donna. Uh, in your book, that you, you say that joy is contagious and yours, even though we're doing this over Zoom, your, yours is definitely uh, being caught by me. And I'm sure everyone listening oh, to this is going to share in that. So thank you so much. I really hope that you enjoyed listening in to this chat. This was the first time I got to virtually meet with Donna and yet it sort of just felt like a conversation with a friend and that's always my favourite kind of podcast episode as a listener experience. In this episode, I felt like Donna gave us the permission to be lonely and connected because one lonely day doesn't have to mean that you're a quote-unquote lonely person. It's just something to pay attention to, to guide us towards better connection. Equally, I was really inspired to schedule in a few more dates with Wonder to make time for that type of quality alonement, to connect with all the awesome things that the world has to offer. Whether you're a sea person or a nature person or a mountain person, it's just so important to make that time to get out and be at one with the universe. Anyway, thank you for listening and do share with a friend if you think that they'd benefit from listening too. To stay part of the wider community, just a reminder, you can sign up to my weekly Substack newsletter at francescaspector.substack.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.